You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. John chapter 17. We are looking at John 17, the the priestly prayer of Christ. He has left the upper room and is making his way literally uh, to the cross. And verses 1 through 5, we see that Jesus was praying for himself. And uh, as he is walking and and praying to the Father. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 19. We see Christ praying specifically for uh, the, the disciples that are, that are there, the earthly disciples there. There's, of course, as we look this morning, there's going to be much that we can understand about our life and what that means, the nature and who God is in relationship to Christ in our life. And then that last part there, verses 20 through 26 of John 17, we, we see Jesus praying for the, the future believers that for us uh, in the future as, as Christ looked at going to the cross and what that would accomplish And he's looking into the future of those that would become followers of who he is based on what it is that he has done. So let's look at John chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading there in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. And that is in reference to Judas. But now I'm coming to you in these things that I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, Your word is truth. As you had sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, 
I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. What a, a precious gift it is. But even more specifically, the gift that we see of your high priestly prayer that you offered up on our behalf. We thank you for the truth that it shows us and teaches us and encourages us to know who you are and who we are. And so, Lord, we just thank you for the time to gather this morning, remove all the worries and the cares of the day. Let us hear from you. Let us hear from you as your word is rightly proclaimed. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. As I mentioned earlier, those first five verses, Pastor Matt shared with you last Sunday morning. And as we move into verse six, as the prayer shifts from Jesus praying for himself, and now we see Jesus praying for the disciples, I thought that Pastor Matt brought up a wonderful point as he laid the background of what was going on in the the priestly role of Christ in his prayer. And he made reference to that as Jesus is approaching the cross, it is as if his face is is mashed up against the veil of the Holy of Holies. What a what a a great picture of, of what Christ does when he, he gives his life on that cross and the word tells us that the, the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom to where there would be no more need of that high priest going into the holies of holies but at this point he has not done that so what a, what a great picture that Christ literally has his, his face up against the veil of the holy of holies and he's interceding for us to the father just as that Old Testament priest would have gone and, and lit the incense and distributed uh, the elements, would have taken the sacrifice into that holy of holies, we see here Christ doing that which only he can do and intercede for us as the high priest that he is. And so we see here, if you look at these verses, he prayed, if you just look at it from a standpoint of length, he prayed a few verses for himself but the majority of the prayer is for his disciples and for us. Is that just not Jesus? Five verses over Father me, and then the rest of that prayer is us. And what we have in Christ and what it means to be a believer and, and all the precious gifts and all the things that are available to us because Jesus Christ did die on a cross for our sin and he paid that price as the high priest that only he could pay so what I want to do is I want to take this prayer and kind of divide it up into two parts one these first few verses verses 6 through 10 I want us to see one as he is in the midst of the prayer but he hasn't really requested anything and it's we can almost say it this way verses 6 through 10 I want us to look at the concern that Christ has for his disciples but notice this there's a concern for the disciples but his confidence is in the father so yes, he was concerned, but he was confident in what the promise of the Father has already given him. So let's look at those first few verses there. Notice there in verse 6, I manifested your name to the people whom you gave to me out of the world. Well, first we see he is concerned, but notice his confidence that he has. You gave them me 
out of the world. Now don't miss that. When we think about our life even today, how many of us this week might have heard something that altered your agenda? Does anybody else have an agenda? Does anybody else calendar? I like the cal- I'm a calendaring person. And I'll get up first thing in the morning, bright and early on, you know, on Monday morning, in the life of a pastor, Monday morning, my calendar is all laid out for the week. And it's a perfect calendar. And because I'm a Baptist pastor and, and you are my responsibility, how long does that perfect calendar last? About the time I unlock that front door, something goes awry. Not bad, but just changes. And it's so easy as we go through life that as things change around us, we don't know what to do. Here's a great promise. God gave us to the Son. Is that just not, I can't even wrap my arms around that. What does that even mean? As Jesus was dying on the cross, we know the, the Southern Gospel song that, that, that I don't know who originally sang it. We Once somebody originally sings a Southern Gospel song, everybody else just sings it. When Jesus sang, when I was on the cross, you were on my mind. That's a comforting thought, is it not? Isn't it a comforting thought that as Jesus was making his way to the cross and he knew that his disciples were there and he's concerned about the disciples and the immediate effect of the persecution that would come and all that would be, they would be up against all the trials of the day. And then Jesus said, but you know what, Father? They're yours because you, you gave them to me now I think about this idea and I could spend almost the entire sermon in verse 6 but I can't yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word there are certain things that you know I visited family this week and and, uh, it's kind of funny uh, and the seasons of life that we go through uh my mother is at a season of life with great-grandkids. She's, she's really different. I mean, you think I'm silly with a grandchild, a great-grandchild. Uh, for the first time in the history of eating at Sharon's parents, I have been moved to the children's table again. I've never eaten at the children's table. <laughs> All the grandkids and great-grandkids are at the Rosses, and so I get in there and I say, well, I'm, I'm going to walk into the big big people room and there's all the grandkids around the the patriarchs of the family and so I just sat there and staring into the big boy table room and I've been relegated to the and so as you get older I think you you kind of you kind of get sentimental about things my mother's kind of at that point where every time somebody visits she gives them something Oh, here was my great-great-grandmother. And it, it is kind of this idea that it is, it is yours, but you love somebody enough, you want them to have an understanding of what's important to you, and so you kind of give it to him, to, to them. And what, what is your, think about that. Now, that's a silly example to think about this. We're God's. We are his. My grandmother keeps a, my, my mother keeps a saucer plate from 
three generations ago and hangs on to it just so she can give it to the first great-grandchild. God from eternity past says, you've been mine. Maybe you're here today and you just needed that assurance and no matter where you are in your life, God says, you are mine. I wrote in the margin of my Bible years ago, God's ownership. I'm God's. Not only am I Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and we look at that relationship that way, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Flip that thing around from heaven looking downward. God is my, I, I am, God is mine. God's ownership over my life. I am his. All the worries, all the doubts, all the cares, all the things in the future that we cannot see, that we never will be able to see, that we never will be able to control. The word of God says, when you gave me out of the world, yours they were. So think about the confidence that Christ has for his disciples. You gave them me out of the world. Secondly, notice what he says, they believed your word. When you think about it, as a pastor, how do I know who the disciples of Jesus Christ are? Those that believe his word. When Jesus stood before the Jews and he says, I and the Father am one. I am sent by the Father. The Jewish leaders did not believe them. They did not believe them, so they thought that he was a heretic. So why don't we just go ahead and have him arrested and crucified because he speaks such blasphemy. And we, under, we look at that and say, that's not blasphemy at all. That is the truth. The disciples believed that is the truth and they followed Christ. Where was the confidence that Jesus needed during this prayer? He said, Father, you gave them to me. They will believe your word. It's just like today. What great confidence I have. You know, it's not my responsibility to convince anybody of anything. My responsibility is to preach the word. It's God's responsibility to take care of what, how that word is handled in the hearts of people. That is wonderful for me. We believe the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are demonstrating and by our, our belief, we're acknowledging I'm God's, I'm his. And so we don't have to live a life of ups and downs of assurance. Do I really know I'm saved? What if I'm not saved? What if I, what if I want to, you, we, we overthink it. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and if you have repented of those sins and you have placed your faith in Christ and your desire is to know Christ and to love Christ and to live for Christ and you have believed the words that Christ has said as we see laid out in scripture, Jesus Christ himself even says in this prayer, we are his because we believed the word. Now think about Christ for a moment in his ministry. What if he would not have spoken the truth? What if when he was before the, uh, before the religious leaders, what if he watered it down a little bit? What if he didn't speak the exact truth and he just kind of shared a little bit of the truth and really didn't go into details and, and, and really just kind of watered the gospel down a little bit so that everybody would believe him? Well, then you lose that plumb bob of truth. The believers have not completely been 
illumined by the gospel because the spirit has not come, but based on what they heard, they had believed. They believed who Jesus Christ was, who sent him, what that meant to them. Based on the ability they had before them, they believed everything that Christ said. Do you believe everything that Christ has said? Do you believe the word? Jesus said, Father, I'm concerned about my disciples, but yet I'm, I'm confident in you because I know that you have given them to me. I know that they have believed the word. And notice what else he says there. He says, now they have everything that you've given to me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. And notice what it says, I am glorified in them. I took that in my Bible and I just circled that. I, I, I still can't wrap my arms around that. I know I say that often, but there's so many times as I read scripture, I'm just going, my goodness, that, that's so wonderful. I can't even hardly understand it. That Jesus Christ could be glorified in our life. Now, there's so many ways you could look at that. Now, I think there are a lot of people that may think they're Christians. They didn't know Jesus being glorified in that. But for those that are truly his, the disciples glorified Christ by their response to the gospel. You may be here this morning and be asking yourself, well, I just wish God would do something with me. You know, I've noticed that it's sometimes as we're, it's almost, it's almost kind of sad when we're real young and capable of doing everything, we don't really have the time to do anything. Then as we get older, we want to do a lot more, but we physically can't. I've realized it hurts my knee to, to walk up on the pulpit. I think I'm going to do the offertory prayer from down there. That's how old I'm getting. When you're 20-something, you don't think anything's ever going to hurt. Amen? But I think there is a, spiritually speaking, I think there are many of us that don't realize what God wants to do through our life. I tell you what God wants to do through your life. You want to write this down somewhere? What does God want to do through my life today? I'll tell you this. He wants to glorify the Son through your life. He wants to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ through your life. Jesus said, Father, I'm praying for my disciples. I know they're my disciples because you gave them to me. I know they're my disciples. I know who they are, not the son of destruction. I know Judas was not because he did not, he did not keep your word. He did not believe my word. He said, I'm praying for them because you gave them to me. I'm praying for them. Here's my confidence, Father, because they kept your word. Father, here's my confidence that I can pray for those disciples because I am glorified through them. He says, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified through them. And you just take, take a look at that picture, all of mine, you see the Trinity, Father, all of mine are yours, the Son, all of mine are yours, the Spirit, all mine are yours and if all mine are yours and we're all in this together, my life will glorify the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
as you look at these verses and just kind of think backwards, what, what does it mean? How did they glorify the Son? They believed the Word. Jesus himself said that. Father, I know they're mine because they believe the Word. Why do we preach the gospel every service that we gather? Because we want people to believe the Word. We want them to understand their need. They want to, well, I want people to understand who Jesus Christ is. What does that mean for you? How does that radically change your life? We think about believing the word. We understand that they receive the word. I think we live in a culture today that a lot of people receive the word, but they haven't received it. They believe it, but they don't receive it. I believe in Jesus, but I haven't received who Jesus is for me. There's a big difference. That's why I think it's so important we preach the gospel. Let's say, let's say I'm going to someone for the first time that's never, uh, that I've never shared the gospel with. The gospel is not believe in Jesus and go to heaven when you die. That's not the issue. The issue is not going to heaven when you die. The issue is why is not everybody automatically going to heaven when they die? Why is not everybody, I'll let you answer out loud. There's one word that has three letters. Why is everyone not going to heaven when they die? Because of what? Sin. So the issue is not, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven when you die. Well, that's, that's, that's easy. Everybody could do that. The devil believes in Jesus. Is he going to heaven when he dies? No. And so what makes the good news the great news is that you can go to heaven when you die when you realize the reason you're not going to heaven anyway is you are separated from God because of his holiness and that issue is uh, with his holiness is your sin. So Jesus Christ came to do what you could not do for your fallenness and your depravity and your sin. He sent a perfect son as a sacrifice to pay the price for that sin and if you believe that you are that sinner and you realize that Jesus Christ is the only means for that sin to be forgiven, then you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Christ and you receive what Christ has done for you. That's different than just believing in Jesus and going to heaven when you die. Do you know how many times throughout a given week I talk to people that say they believe in Jesus and continue to live in just depravity? It's almost confusing to me. I, I, I'm, I, I'm alive, but I'm dead. I believe in Jesus Christ. I, I believe I'm alive. No, you're not alive. You're dead as a doornail. You know, you, you got to get born again first. I always like to put an ED on the end of born. It just preaches better. You got to be born again. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you need to believe in what Jesus done. That is a radical gospel game changer. tell you a story this week now Sharon will tell you this I have to stay busy whether I'm in Avon Park or wherever I'm at so Sharon will sit down with me she said no honey we're gonna be gone all week okay you got to find something to do all week dad she's talking about her dad dad's got somebody that's taking care of the yard so you don't have to do yard work so you need to get on that little phone of yours and go get busy I'm not having you pace around the house. Okay, so I got busy. I made appointments on my calendar. And I met up with some old friends that I haven't had met up with. We did lunch. And one of those friends, they're, they're all, they're all, we're all in church now. And one of those friends said, I just want to hear what happened. 
It was probably the last time we were ever that close in proximity. We were not in church, I can tell you that. What happened? How did you get from here to being a preacher? That's, that was his question. He said, I just want to know how you became a preacher. That's, what happened? And as I was sharing my understanding of what happened to me, the gospel just is so clear. Once you realize you're a sinner and once you realize that how terrible sin is and what sin caused and you understand all the ugliness of not following obediently the thing to the Lord, once you understand God's holiness and then you understand what Christ has done for you and you really understand how wonderful Jesus Christ is and what, what that means that, that God had, had given me to the Son and the Son died on the cross for my sin. I just told Glenn, I said, Brother, there was nothing else I could do but follow him once I understand what he did for me. And so therefore, I, have, I, just, I, I just have so much difficulty with people that say, oh, I believe in Christ and I know what Christ has done for me. And there's just no worship there. There's no obedience there. There's no fellowship there. There's no joy there. There's just, listen, once we realize, once the disciples realize what Christ had done for them, it radically changes your life. It, Jesus became a big deal to me. And I wanted Jesus to be Lord over every aspect of my life. So they believed the word and they, they received the word. Jesus goes on to say that they, they kept the word. They kept following. They kept listening. They kept persevering. And they lived this word out. It's what they did with the word that Jesus was able to pray to the Father. I am glorified in them. Even when Jesus, and I get a little sidetracked, even when we think about Peter's life, Jesus looked right into the eyes of Peter and said, Peter, you'll deny me three times, but I know you're mine. And I know you're not perfect. Some, some of us more like Peter than others, aren't we? We can relate to Peter. I love Peter. I can relate to him. Mouth moves too quick all the time. In Peter's disobedience, in Peter's repentance, in Peter's restoration, Peter glorified his Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Peter was his. So he's praying for these disciples. He has a, a concern for them, but yet he has confidence in them. He knows that the disciples are his. He knows they have believed the word. He knows that they are glorifying him. Verse 11, we get to the actual, I guess you could say, the request. The, the meat of the request. Oh, Father, this is what I'd like for you to do. As I am coming into your presence, Lord, I, I, I want you to be doing this. Father, as I am leaving and I'm coming to the cross, to the ascension, as I am leaving, Father, uh, I am leaving them. I want to pray for them. Because I'm leaving. As I go to the cross and ascend into glory, Father, I want to pray for the disciples because they are, they are staying. And they're going to be doing the work of the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Jesus had to come and he had to go, but because he came, he left us. Isn't that great to know that we, we've got a task, that we've got a job, and the Lord is asking us to do something? 
And he prays, Father, because they are staying, here's the request. But notice first how he addresses the Father. Don't miss this. Only time you'll see in the New Testament, Holy Father. I thought about that a lot. Holy Father, Holy Father, Holy Father. We know he's holy. He's set apart. The holiness of God. We cannot come into the presence of God. He is a, a separatedness from us. He is holy. He is righteous. We, we cannot come into his presence because he is so holy. But then he says, Father. So holy reminds me of God and his being separated because of his holiness. I cannot even come into his presence. Then we see the word father. What a great word for the closeness of a relationship, a father. Now we see the, the nearness. Isn't it great to know that we can bow our head and our heart at any moment and pray, Father. And we know that our Father here, the Jesus referred to the Father as Abba Father, like a, an earthly father, that personal relationship. But yet he is holy. He is in charge of the entire universe, but yet he is our Father. He is distant and holy, but yet he is near to us as our Father. Is that not incredible? And Jesus says, Holy Father, because of your holiness and, and because of who you are, I know that you hear me and you are near to me. And I'm praying. Holy Father. Notice what he prayed. Father, I pray that, verse 11, they may be one. Now, he just referred to that every one of them had been given to him. So we see God's sovereign control over all of humanity. That God had, had and even in salvation, we see God's hand in redemption. But then the prayer is that they would be one. As they live their life, as they follow Christ as they apply scripture to their life. It's the idea, yes, that we have been saved, but yes, Christ is requesting the Father that we would be obedient unto the Father so that we could accomplish something. Even though we have been given by the Father, there's much responsibility that we live our life in a certain way. Notice what he first prays for. It, it, I always, when I first read it, I just kind of fall over it and kind of run through it, I mean. And then it dawns on me, the first request that Christ has for his disciples is unity. That they would be one. I told you Jesus was Baptist. Y'all don't, John the Baptist, I'm telling y'all, there's going to be other people in heaven other than Baptist, but I'm telling you, I say that jokingly, why? Because he's praying for them to be unified. He has to be Baptist. There's a joke there somewhere. Do you know how hard it is for Christians to be unified? Over anything. Jesus knew this. Father, just as we are one, let them be one. You know what's wrong with the church of today? Not our church, our church. You know what's wrong with the church today? We're not unified. 
I mean, you might have somebody that's got a reverend in front of their name on national TV saying, well, man, you know, God might have said that, but then you got another person with a reverend in front of their name saying, thus saith the Lord. You got one group saying this and one group saying that. One person believes this about the Bible. Another person believes this about the Bible. One person, we're just all over the place. And that's why the church has lost its influence. The Lord had lost his influence. But if we're not unified, we don't have the influence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The only way that, I think about, I thought about that, the only way a church is going to be, have an impact for the kingdom is we've got to be unified. The only way my Christian life is going to have an impact. I think about now the stakes have been raised. Not only do I have children, I have a grandchild. The sphere of influence is increasing on, on those that I can have an impact over. And as I am one with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, as I, am, as, I, as I am one with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, do you think God will use that in my family in a great way? In spite of my shortcomings? Look at, look at Peter's life. His life was a train wreck sometimes. But what a man of faith he was because his desire, even though his personality may have gotten in the way sometimes, I said Peter's my favorite, even sometimes when we get in the way, Peter's desire was to please the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Peter's desire was to please God and to live a godly life and to do what the Father had sent him to do. And that's what Jesus is saying, Father, here's the prayer. Keep them unified. Keep them believing and receiving and living out the truth of your word. Now notice what they're unified on is not by vote or not by proxy. What they're unified on is the truth of God and his word. That's what they're unified on. That's what unity. In our world today, we want to say unity at all costs. That is a lie from the depths of hell. It's not unity at all costs. It's unity as we stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ standing from the Pharisees. Did he want unity at all costs? Did he look and say, well, I want the Sadducees to be happy. I want the Pharisees to be happy. I want everybody to be happy. No, he stood and said, I am sent from the Father. This is the Father's work. This is what I've been sent to do. There are many will, will, will not understand it. There will be many that will not embrace it, and they will go through the broad way. But those that the Father has given to me, they will receive that, and they will enter through the narrow way, and they will find life. Jesus was a stickler for truth. I think that is the downfall of the church in the United States of America. We are so afraid to say, thus saith Jesus, thus saith the Lord, thus saith God. We are so afraid. I thought about that over the 4th of July. I, I, I finally got my flagpole put up. Sharon says, I get one flagpole. Because I would have about 10 flagpoles out there. I'd have a Marine Corps flag. I'd have a Navy flag. I'd have a law order flag. I'd have flags everywhere. I like that stuff. But the 4th of July, I'm reminded by that. We, we, you know, it's, it's, it's like because of 
we, we live in a patriotic, you know, you go to Walmart, God bless America. I'm just surprised God hadn't wiped America off the face of the earth, to be honest with you. Like we, you know, God bless America, zippy doo da, zippy day. Yet God will bless his people when they forsake their wicked ways. God is not going to bless America until America has a revival. Is that, is that clear? That, that, that's like our lives. We think God's going to, you know, I was riding down the road and I will come beside a, a, a truck and, you know, God loves you. But what does that even mean, God loves you? What, what, if, what if, I mean, <laughs> Sharon, that's why Sharon acts like she's asleep when we drive. So what if I'm riding down the road and I, I'm riding down the road, I'm just a sinner. I mean, I'm just a black tar heroin, adulteress. I mean, I got it all going on. What if I'm riding down the road and I ride behind that dump truck that's got the big sign of that, God loves you. Yep, he does. No, he doesn't. He hates sin. He hates you living this way. Yes, there's a general love that God has for the world he created, but he is going, unless you repent and place your faith in Christ, you're going to bust hell wide open. And we don't see that on the back of dump trucks, do we? And so I struggle with that. I, I know God loves us, but God hates sin. He hates anything in our life that goes against his holiness and his righteousness. Now, I don't know what, I mean, at least you're thinking about God and his love. I don't know how to, you know, you put God loves you if you repent. I don't know how, you know, I don't know how to word that out that it makes theological sense. But I think if we're, if we're not careful, we just throw around these things that God is love and God this and God that. God is holy and he is righteous and he wants us to be as one. Standing on the truth of his word. Let me tell you how much God loves you. God loves you so much. He sent his son to die on a cross for my and your sin. And if you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ alone for salvation and you bow your knee to the lordship and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand the manifestation of that love. That's God's love. Not just a generic love over humanity. That was free this morning, by the way. You can blame that on the dump truck. <laughs> that they may be one. Secondly, notice what he prays. Look at the end of verse 13. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Gosh, that's a thank you for that prayer, Jesus that my joy may be fulfilled. I love the word joy. I shared this morning with several, Sharon's mom and dad of, of, um, go to Milner Baptist Church. Actually, our youth stayed there on the way up. It's a small church. I don't know, I mean, I don't know numerically how big it is. It's a smaller church out in the country a little bit. Wonderful people, sweet people. Sharon's mom and dad go there and been there forever. Sharon grew up there. God radically used that church in my life to get me to where I needed to be in my relationship with Christ. So I say all that to say this. Sunday morning, Sharon's mom and dad were there, naturally. They had all of their grandchildren and all of their great-grandchildren at church with them. How happy do you think they were? That's when I got pushed to the kids' room on the end of the pew. Used to, used to be about me, no longer. Could you imagine Elmer and Barbara's face when they got to church Sunday and the glow they had? 
I mean, they would just, that's joy. That's a, that's a picture of joy. It's, it's an intimate love type thing, true joy. That, that is what Christ says, Father, give them that joy. This type of joy is not found in the things of the world. It's found in relationships. Every day we get bad news. Every day we hear something we don't understand. Every day we think the sky could be falling. Every day there could be things that could burden us. And, but we have to remember that our joy is in our relationships. We are, we're gods, remember? We're the sons. Jesus loves us. Jesus knows us. And we can have joy in that and that alone. He said, Father, that their joy might be full. I want to read some little notes I made here. The closer Jesus got to the cross, the more he taught on joy. Only one other time before this farewell discord, only one other time did Jesus mention the word joy in John chapter 3. But as he got closer to the cross, as he had the disciples in the upper room and he was making his way to the cross, there were seven times he talked about joy. Think about that. The closer he got to the cross, the closer he got to the trials, the closer he got to the arrest, the closer he got to the things that he knew the disciples would struggle with, seeing their Savior dead, seeing the tomb empty, all the craziness of trying to process all of this in the next several weeks, the closer he got to all those uncertainties the more he talked about joy. That's what we need, isn't it? Some joy. Not the happiness that the world provides, but true and honest joy. And then last, he asked the father that they would be kept from the evil one. Now, we think about this. Let me lay some theological foundation. We just, okay, you just said that God gave them to the Son. So we, we, we've got that ownership. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to grasp, but we just know it's theologically accurate. That God gave them from the, Ephesians talks about from the foundation of the world. So God gave them to the Son. We got that. But yet here we see Christ saying, okay, Father, keep them from the evil one. It almost sounds like, okay, God, you gave them to me. But now it almost sounds like that Jesus is saying, God, I hope you can keep up with them. Like we're a set of keys. Anybody else lose their keys? It almost sounds like, well, which one is it? Did, did he give them to the son and now he gives them to the son and he hopes the son doesn't lose them and, and now the devil's going to come and, and take them away? Well, something we need to understand about the devil. The devil has some authority and some reign, but it's very limited. We think about Job, Job, you know, the devil comes to the presence of God. Hey, can I have that one? You can have him, but he's mine. You can do whatever you want. You're not going to kill him. I mean, we see, the, we see what's going on. So it's like the devil is on a leash. There's some freedom. There's some reign there, but he is controlled. And so I think in the humanity of Christ, what we see Christ saying is, Father, keep them from the evil one. Guard them in temptation. Keep them safe. Keep them who they are. Notice what it says. It says, now I'm going to you these things, 
Verse 15, I didn't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not out of the world, just as I am not out of the world. So the, the idea is, as a believer, we don't fit in here. I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we try to fit in. We're not going to fit in here. It's always going to be weird for Christians in the world. Does that make sense? You ever just met that person that's weird? Don't look at them right now. We all got about four or five people. They're just... I was with Sharon's family this week. And I just said, honey, I know you get mad when I tell you this. They're just weird. And then she real quickly, what do you think she does right after that? Do I need to give you a name of your family tree? <laughs> but there's just certain people that you just, they just don't fit in. They don't fit in your perspective. They're just weird. That's all right. Let me, let me encourage you. You're weird. Because you're Christians in a fallen world. Quit trying to fit in. You're never going to fit in as a believer. As you follow Jesus Christ, you're never going to fit in. If my goal is to fit in, and I want to be the world, and I want to act like the world, and I want everybody to, I'm never going to fit in if I follow Jesus Christ. The world will never accept me as I follow Jesus Christ because they didn't accept Christ himself. And one of the things that we have done in our culture is we try to blend in and fit in and we want to be accepted and we want everything to go okay. And so we, we go to our workplace and we're going to fit in. You're not going to fit in if you live for Jesus Christ unless you live in a perfect workplace. And the last time I checked it, in the, nobody has that workplace. We want to fit in here. We want to fit in there. We want to fit in and just don't try to fit in. Be weird for Jesus. Put that on a shirt. I'm being weird for Jesus. That'll be the one thing somebody gets out of the message today. Well, the preacher told me to go be weird for Jesus. You'll tell somebody that and say, well, you got that, Master, because you are weird. <laughs> Jesus is saying, Father, I know they're in a world they're never going to fit in. Keep them safe. Keep them from temptation. Keep them from falling prey to the lies of Satan. You need this. You deserve this. You can have this. That's what the devil tells you. You need to be happy. You need to follow through with this choice. You need to live this way. You deserve this. You, des you, know, that, you deserve this. If I could take that out of the human vocabulary, we wouldn't have the issues we have in the church today. We don't deserve anything but we have received the greatest love we can through the forgiveness of our thin through Jesus Christ that's what we deserve I don't deserve anything I had a pastor friend tell me one time I deserve a, a, a big healthy grown church you don't deserve anything we haven't done anything to deserve anything but when I place my Happiness and joy in Christ, I'm able to understand what I do have is a gift and a blessing. Instead of looking for what I think I deserve, and I look at everything in Christ, I, I think about my family. Is, is my family perfect? No, they're not perfect. But as I look at my family through Christ, I'm thinking, my goodness, look what I've got. I think of my friendships. I think of, 
Jesus is saying, keep them from temptation. Don't let them buy into that. Let them buy into everything they need can be found in Jesus, can be found in the gospel. Jesus was sent. The disciples were sent. Matthew 6, 13, Jesus says, keep us free from temptation. If you look in James, it talks about temptations and trials, temptations of the devil. Trials are just the life that we live. So we, we live our life and something happens we don't want to happen. Is that a temptation? Is that a trial? You know? Somebody told me one time they were going down the road and they had a flat tire and the devil was trying to keep me from going to somewhere and I got out and changed that tire in the name of Jesus. So being the pastor that I am, I said, how you know it wasn't an angel that did it? What if the Lord did it just to slow you down a little bit? How you know it was the devil? They said, well, preacher, I never thought about it that way. I've been giving the devil way too much credit. Who knows? Is it a temptation or is it a trial? Maybe that weird friend of yours is a temptation. It could be a trial. I don't know. But do you know how you deal with both of those? You reject the wrong. You turn from it and you turn to Christ. We stand on the word of God and say, well, how, do, how, are we, how are we freed from temptation? Notice what it says. They are not out of the world, just as I'm not out of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. How do I know if this is a temptation from Satan or just a trial that I'm going through to strengthen my faith? Well, the answer to each is the same. Do what God wants you to do. Do it faithfully and obediently and willingly. Turn from that which is not pleasing to the Lord and follow and pursue after things that are of the Lord. Sanctify them, set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. You know if I take the word of God and literally understand it to be the word of God from front to cover and I read it and I study it and I understand how the Old Covenant and the New Testament fit together and I look at the Bible the way God intended me as a Christian, that my life is going to be sanctified and I'll be set apart. And I won't be sucked into the temptations and trials of the world. But do you know how long it will take if we set aside the word of God? Here's what I tell people. People come to me and say, oh, Brother John. Go back to that lunch I had. Glenn said, I want to know what happened to you. I said, I'll tell you what happened to me. I was sitting in church and the preacher was preaching on sin. And the Holy Spirit said, that is you. And you need to turn from your sin and follow after the things of Christ. And I told Glenn, I decided that night to do that. And he, he, he knew what was going on in my life. And I said, secondly, I drove up to Griffin, Georgia to the Christian bookstore and I bought me a Bible because I couldn't find my Bible. That's bad when you can't find your Bible. You know your life's not going well if you don't know where your Bible is. I still have that Bible. It's in my office. I said, I went and bought me a Bible. It was a parallel Bible. It had King James on one side, NIV on the other. I've never been so liberated in my life. I understand the Bible. And I read the NIV in King James. And I read the Bible. And I said, Glenn, you know what else I did? I started going to church. And I went to Milner Baptist Church. They didn't have all the buzzers and the whistles. And I just decided I'm going to church. I was the youngest person in there by 200 years. 
I remember going in Bible study on Sunday night for the first time, and the average age I was I literally could have been 200 years. And I walked in there and took the old discipleship training quarterly magazine from Bible Sunday school board, and I followed along Brother Freddie as he walked through the Bible. And I came back Sunday night, and I came back Wednesday night. You know how old everybody was in prayer meeting? And I told Glenn, I started going to church, and I started reading my Bible. And I started figuring out all the stuff I've gotten myself into and how I move on from it. But I said, the two things I did that I will continue to do and I tell everybody else to do is I go to church and I read the Bible. He does things pretty simple. I said, it's real simple. And if we won't do those two things, we're not going to do anything else. Sanctify them, Father, set them apart, cleanse them, purify them, set them apart for my mission, for your mission, and that's only going to be done as we're under the truth, the truth of God's word on our own, and the truth of God's word as we're in church. It's so simple. Yes, Father, you've gave them to me, but I want them to be usable Sanctification is where we have all that, you know, you know, theologically look at God saving and us coming and all that and the other. You want to know where you're most responsible for anything in your Christian life is living out the Christian life. You don't have any control over when you're born or when you die, but I tell you what you do have control over is how you live your life following Jesus Christ. If that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have to stand before him and give an account for everything we've ever done. And Jesus knows that. Father, you sent me, and I'm sending them. You know, think about Jesus for a moment. He knows Peter. Think about just Peter. I love Peter. Father, Peter's rash. Peter doesn't think very long. He, he's a quick, he acts, but he doesn't think sometimes, Father. Father, you know Peter can put himself in a bind. Lord, Father, keep him from the evil one. And then he says, but you know what, Father, you will because you've given Peter the spirit and the word. Quit looking for any more than what you already have. You're not going to find something that's going to change your life any more than what you have right now as the Spirit of God amongst the people of God with the Word of God sitting in your lap. If you want God to do something supernatural through your life, you just do with what you've already been given by the Father and He will accomplish great things for you. Think about the disciples and what they accomplished. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, as Christ even prayed in the word this morning, Holy Father. Holy Father, we are yours. You've given us to the Son. You've given us the Spirit. Lord, help us to embrace that this morning through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us know you. Let us know your son. Let us live the Christian life in a way that we understand our salvation and what it means to live that life out. And 
these things we pray in Christ's name.